you have a Bible, would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4? 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read uh, the whole chapter uh, this morning. Just a few words to begin with about the book of 1 Timothy. Um, what's going on here? Paul, the apostle, is writing to Timothy, a, a younger man who has been his companion uh, since they met on the, Paul's second missionary journey in the city of Lystra. Uh, Paul's taken Timothy under his wing. Effectively, he's trained him for ministry, um, encouraged him, and uh, they've been a great help to each other, and they have a very close friendship together in the Lord. We're now on Paul's fourth missionary journey, and uh, when Paul left Ephesus, he told Timothy to stay there in order to pastor and lead the church in Ephesus. And Paul has gone on from Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. He has gone across to Greece, and he's around Philippi, or certainly that area of Macedonia. And he's writing to Timothy to encourage him, to advise him in um, the issues that are going on in the church and how he should address those, and also to spur Timothy on to keep his focus on Jesus. So kind of with that background, that's what's going on in this letter. Let's come and read chapter 4. Now, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of God, expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. 
Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray that God would speak to us through this. Lord, will you speak to us through your word this morning? Uh, May we find more than just words on a page, but your spirit transforming our lives. Lord, will you do whatever it is you want in our hearts? Amen. Back in August, uh, myself and Danny and Matthew and Caleb uh, set off early in the morning in the car going up to Glasgow. And over the next six days, we walked the 96 miles from Glasgow to Fort William. On the one hand, it was a great time. It was out in the outdoors. I love being in the outdoors. It was good time with uh, and fellowship with Matthew and Caleb and Danny. It was nice to be while camping again, something I hadn't done for getting on for 30 years. And the scenery in Scotland is just stunning. And the weather wasn't too bad either. But I have to be honest, it was also a painful time. There was the pain of humiliation. When the going was flat, it was fine. But the moment the ground began to lift, this gap seemed to appear between Danny, Caleb, Matthew and me. It was particularly bad on one climb. I was taking so long to get to the top that they got cold and Danny came down saying, give me your rucksack and I'll carry it up for you. It was also painful for my feet. They were wrecked by the end and I couldn't walk for about a week afterwards. I think ultimately what was painful was that walk exposed a complete lack of physical fitness in my body. Something that was hard to face up to, but something I was glad had happened because it made me do something about it. As we come to God's Word this morning, I want you to have this question in the back of your mind. Actually, not in the back, at the front of your mind. Is God exposing, today, is God exposing my lack or your lack of spiritual fitness? Is God exposing, as we come to his word, is God exposing this morning your lack, my lack of spiritual fitness. 
So as we come uh, to these verses, particularly I want us to focus on verse 6 through to 10 with a a special focus on verses 7 and 8. Paul is encouraging Timothy as he pastors the church in Ephesus to make growing in godliness his priority. Verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value, or while physical exercise is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He writes to Timothy, he says, look, whatever else is going on, whatever other good things there are to enjoy... Growing in godliness has got to be your priority. Because there is nothing better than that. And let's be honest, while some of the instructions that I read to you that Paul gives to Timothy are a pastor thing, and not for all of us directly in our lives to take on. So not all of us are to give ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation to teaching. That is something for Timothy. That is something for pastors. It's something for those who are called to preach. But this instruction is not just for pastors. This instruction is not just for elders. This instruction is for every single Christian. Bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way. So I want us this morning to think about godliness together. There are three questions I want us to ask. What is godliness? How do we grow in godliness? And why should growing in godliness be our priority? And as we ask those questions, keep at the front of your mind that question I raised earlier. Is God exposing my lack, your lack of spiritual fitness this morning? Because if he is, if, if, if we are spiritually unfit, we need to know about that so we can take that up with the Lord and have it addressed. So let's look at these three questions. What is godliness? Here in verse 7, we're told, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. This word godliness comes up. It's kind of at the core of what Paul is saying here. But what does it mean? I remember hearing a definition of godliness. Godliness is God-likeness. What they meant by that, godliness is God-likeness. It is to be godly or to grow in godliness is to grow in behavior that God would do from a moral perspective or that God wants us to do. If you're growing in godliness, your life will look more and more like the word of God and the moral character of God. I think there's something helpful 
about that. A godly person will reflect the things that God does and God wants them to do. But can I, with respect to the person who said that and others who have said that, raise that if that is the entirety of our definition of godliness, it's a potentially dangerous definition of godliness. If that's all we have as our understanding of godliness, or even if that's where we start with our understanding of godliness, that it's about behavior, then we aren't starting where the Bible starts. And there's all kinds of problems that can come from that. You see, biblical godliness doesn't begin with what you do or what I do. Biblical godliness begins with your heart and my heart. It begins much deeper than our actions. Let me just show you this in a couple of ways. Godliness is faith before works. I will teach you this godliness is faith before works. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 37, verse 9. This is a psalm I was reading a couple of months ago, and I was struck by a contrast that the psalmist draws out here. It's a psalm that at its core is encouraging us and teaching us to rest in God's promises, to trust God rather than worry about how things are going to take place and what's going to happen. So it's a psalm that says over and over again, do not fret, don't worry. And then in the encouraging of faith, it's waiting on the Lord, resting on his promises. That's faith. And in verse 9, the psalmist draws out a contrast between those who are ungodly and those who are godly. So he starts off, for the evildoers shall be cut off. The ungodly. Those who do evil. And now we have the godly. How does he describe them? Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And it struck me that that's not the natural contrast. Here we got on one hand those who do evil. The natural contrast is those who do good. Isn't that what, how it works? That's kind of the natural way of balancing it out. Doing evil, doing good. But it's not saying that. Doing evil, trusting God. The opposite of the evildoer is the person who rests and relies on God. So it made me think, what is godliness? Is it so much about what we do, or is it principally about believing and resting in God? And then I read 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, as Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, we recall, and I put the CSB here, not because it says something different to the ESV, it just says it more plainly, so it's easier to see. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, 
your work. The things you do. But it's not work in isolation. It's your work produced by faith. So here is their godliness being seen. Their their God-likeness. Their reflection of the character of God and the word of God in their life. But it doesn't begin there. It begins with their faith in their hearts. Godliness is faith before works. There's a tree outside. If you walk out the door, you'll see a tree just to your right as you leave. It's um, winter now, so there's only two parts of the tree you'll see, the trunk and the branches. I want you to imagine what would happen if you walked out there and someone had taken the trunk away. Where would all the branches be? They wouldn't be still hanging in midair. They would have fallen flat on the ground. The branches are our works, our doings, our obedience to what God has said. But without the trunk of faith, they exist in no man's land. And they won't be sustained and they won't keep going. Godliness is faith, believing in God, resting on God, relying on God, trusting in God before its works. Let me show you it in a different way. That there's this deeper sense of godliness in the Bible. Godliness is knowing before doing. Knowing before doing. The book of Ephesians, I'm not going to take you to any particular verse because it's kind of the whole sweep of the book of Ephesians. And I encourage you to read it and see that this is the way it works. The, the book of Ephesians is six chapters. The last three chapters, four, five, and six, uh, they are all about how we should live, how we should treat one another, what we should say, our relationships, our marriages, our families, how we should live. It's very, very practical. It's all about the doing. But Paul doesn't kick off with the doing in the book of Ephesians. To begin with, we have three chapters, which is all about knowing God better and knowing the gospel better. He kind of summarizes it in a prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 17 to 19, where he prays three things for them. He prays that they will know God better, grow in their relationship with him. He prays that they will know the preciousness and the wonder of the gospel more. That they would see the glories of Christ and the riches of salvation and rejoice in that. And then he prays that they will know the power of God. And the important phrase is this, for us who believe. He says, I want you to know this massive power of God. But not just that it's there, it's for you. I I don't know if you watched the World Championships over the summer, the Athletics World Championships. Uh, Armand Duplantis is a a Swedish uh, pole vaulter. Um, 
and quite a lot better than anyone else in the world. And normally everybody else clocks out at about 5.95 and he goes on till 6.20 or something like that. He was going for his world record, which he didn't get on that night, he got later, of 6 metres 23. Uh, Rob might be able to tell you how high, or John, how high this ceiling is, uh, and you can get a picture of how high that is. It's pretty high. It was quite an amazing feat. It was interesting to watch him do it. The springiness, the, the power he gets off the pole. But you know what? When I'd switched the television off afterwards, I, I didn't think too much of it again because it has so little relevance to me. You might be able to jump that high, but how's that going to change my life? When we look at the power of God, Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, it's not just some great mighty power that's out there and something to behold and look at and wonder at. It's a power that is working in and through every single Christian. And before Paul gets to this point of saying... This is what you should do. He says, this is what you need to know. To know God. To know the gospel and love it. And you need to know God's power. See, godliness does not start in chapter 4 in Ephesians. It starts in chapter 1 with knowing God better. And it's super important that we grasp this when we think of godliness. So often we go quickly to the branches. Oh, I need to put another branch on. Growing godliness, I need to put another branch on. I need to trim this branch or change this branch. But godliness is not primarily about what we do. It is primarily about who we are. And grasping that will change the way we go about growing in godliness. Because if godliness equals behavior, how do we grow godliness? Fairly simply, we put a big list of rules on the wall, 10 key rules of godliness, and underneath is a punishment if you get it wrong, and a reward if you get it right. And if we're failing, I stand up the front and say, try harder next time. Those of you who are in school, do you recognize that from anywhere? The list of rules on the wall, rewards, punishments, and someone up the front saying, try harder next time. The way our schools work. It's the way our government works. Because all we can do ourselves to change behavior is external and rule-based. But that does not build godliness. Godliness flows out of a heart that knows and trusts and loves God. It's something deeper. Godliness comes out of a heart that has been transformed by God and is continuing to be transformed 
by God. It is something far deeper than we can do and we can shape. Let me give you, I'm not saying this is the perfect definition of godliness, but this is, this is something that I thought about this week. What, what's godliness? Godliness is a heart that knows and trusts God and out of that seeks to follow him. Where we so easily go wrong when we think of godliness is we start with the following him. And we don't go all the way back to the heart. So what is godliness? Second question, how do we grow in godliness? How do we grow in godliness? You see, Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. He says, come on, grow in godliness. Put your effort into it. Bring this about. Train yourself. So how do we do that? I think Paul gives us two answers in this passage. The first is this. We want to grow in godliness. We need to be shaped by God through the Bible. We need to be shaped by God through the Bible. Look at verse 6 with me. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, that phrase at the end, the words of the faith, this is the truth of Jesus and the good doctrine, the good teaching, the teaching of God's word. We might summarize that, as I've done in the kind of the description, we need to be shaped by God through the Bible. This is the Bible, the word of God. Okay? And Paul says here that if Timothy teaches the truth, he will show that he is being trained by the Bible and the truth that's there. Now, this word trained is interesting. When I first read through this passage in the ESV, I noticed trained or training comes up three times. I thought, oh, there's my three points for this morning. Very easy. There's these three words repeated. And then I discovered that the word trained here is not the same word as training in verse 7 and training in verse Eight. In fact, it's a very different word. Verse 7 and verse 8 is the Greek word that we get the word uh, gymnasia from or gymnastics. And it's about training yourself. It's about you putting in the effort. But this word is about something or someone training you. It's about someone doing something to you. When I looked it up in um, my, uh, my, my dictionary of um, Greek words in the Bible, what came back was this word reared by. It made me think of child rearing, kind of an old-fashioned way of talking about parenting, rearing children. When you've got a toddler, for instance, toddlers do not train themselves in what they should do. Toddlers do not train themselves to not cross the road when it's dangerous. Their parents have to train them. It's something done to them. And it's this word that's being used. 
And what Paul's saying to Timothy here, if you teach the truth, what will you show? That you have been shaped by the word of God has trained you. That's literally what he's saying. Now, does that have anything to do with verse 7? Well, I think it does. Because there is a parallel here between verses 1 to 6 and verses 7. 1 to 6 has two things going on it. 1 to 5 talks about false teaching, silly myths that are expressed that Timothy should have nothing to do with, and then instead he should be godly, trained by the word of God. And verse 7 has that same two things. Have nothing to do with silly myths. Instead of train yourself to be godly. And so verse 6, being trained by the word of God, and verse 7, training yourself to be godly, are, we put it this way, two sides of the same coin. The train yourself to be godly, we're going to come on to that, is the effort you put in, But being trained by God's word is how you grow from God's work in you. And I think this is important to grasp. It's not just our effort that allows us to grow in godliness. It is God working through his word. We don't become more godly simply because we do something. We become more godly because God does something to us through his word. Training us, shaping us, rearing us by the word of the faith and the good doctrine of the Bible. As we open God's word, he shows himself to us. And as we see him, we are transformed. As we experience the glories of God, as the Holy Spirit pours out the goodness and the blessings of God and the reality of his promises and his person into our heart, we are changed. As he shows us the things we are doing wrong and the things that he wants us to do. We are changed. I, I had a whole heap of asides that I wanted to go into at this point and I realized we would be here all day if I did. But can I just mention this? The words on the page... If that's all we have, it is God's word on this page. He's given these words. If that's all we have, though, it will be dead to us. It might feed us intellectually, but it will not, the CSB has the word in verse 6, nourishing your soul. It won't nourish our soul. We won't grow in godliness. All we have is the word on the page. We need the Spirit of God to come and bring it to life for us, to show us its meaning. I spent several years in Wales, and one of the strengths of Welsh 
evangelicalism is the realization and the priority of the word and the spirit. And it's vital that we have both in our lives and in our church. Not just the word on the page, but the spirit working through it. Because if we're to grow in godliness, we need to be shaped by God through the Bible. And that brings us on to verse 7. And hopefully a little bit more understanding on how do we train ourselves to be godly. This word gymnasia, it's, it's the word used for the Olympic athlete who was to dedicate their life to training. There's the Olympic Games next year. Think of the Olympic athletes that you know of who will now be entering that last year of training. What will that mean for them? Well, they'll be disciplined in their training. They're not going to wake up one morning and say, oh, it's a bit cold today. I don't think I'm going to go for a run. They're going to get out there and do it. They're going to put effort into their training. I watched a a documentary on Jess Ennis and her training for the heptathlon gold in the Olympics. And early on winter morning, she was out in the park doing hill reps up and down the hills, throwing up after about half an hour. Effort. The Olympic athletes will make sacrifices over this year. There will be things they want to do that they won't do because their focus is on their physical training. Timothy, Paul says, is to put the effort of the Olympic athlete into growing in godliness. A growth that happens as we are shaped by God through his word. So how is he to direct that effort? I think it's this. He is to put his effort into engaging with the word of God. He is to put his effort into seeing God in his word. By praying for God to show himself to him. He is to put his effort into knowing and understanding the commands and the word of God. And living it out so his life is shaped by them. Growth in godliness is something that is done to us by God. As we put the effort in to putting ourselves under God's word. It doesn't happen as we sit in our armchairs not thinking about God's word, not reading God's word, not coming to services where we hear God's word, like some divine zap from heaven. God works in our lives as we put the effort in and we discipline ourselves and we make it our focus to engage with the word of God and live out the word of God by practicing what we read. Can I say, this is really important for us to get here. Because growth in godliness does not come 
through some fancy spiritual gymnastic exercise. It doesn't come by emptying our mind of all other things. It doesn't come by seeking to go on some special retreat somewhere. It comes in the straightforward exercise of coming under his word regularly and prayerfully. If you want to grow in godliness, you need to be sitting under biblical preaching. Regularly. And can I put on that this, I've said it before, particularly you need to be sitting under the preaching in your local church through men who have been put in that pulpit by God for any given Sunday to speak his word to you. If you go home after this service and you go on YouTube and you listen to someone in America or somewhere else in this country, it is not that you cannot grow through that and it's not that there won't be anything for you in that. But you are a fly on the wall listening to God's message to another church. Whereas here, as you come each week, this is what we pray. Whoever is up here at the front... We are sitting here listening to God's message to us, to you, today. You want to grow. You need to make the effort to be here regularly. And you need to come prayerfully that God would shape you. I know it's not always possible, but I would encourage you, don't just fly in through the door and sit here in the last minute. Come having prayed that God would speak to you this morning. Come early enough so that you can be settled to hear what he has to say. And they're not just about how you come and and being prayerful when you come, but, but... As we go, let's meditate on what he has said and put it into practice. We grow in godliness as we sit under biblical preaching. Second, we grow in godliness as we talk about the Bible together. It could be an organized Bible study. It could be normal conversation. But we have a role to play in this to each other, to talk about the Scripture. The Holy Spirit may impress that upon us. And we can grow. Can I encourage you with something? Don't be lazy when this service finishes and talk to each other about the cat or the dog. Here's a challenge. It will either be taken in one or two ways. Either every conversation that happens will be about the cat and the dog, just, just, just to make a point. Or why don't you say what stood out for you in that message this morning? What did God say to you? This is what he said to me. And then also we grow in godliness as we study the Bible on our own. We can read it on our own. We can read books about it. We can listen to podcasts. We can watch YouTube. As we do these things, God can shape our lives and cause us to grow. How do we grow in godliness? God shapes us through the Bible, so we need to make every effort to be engaging with the Bible. Thirdly, 
and quickly. Why should growing in godliness be our priority? Quite simply, it is the best thing we can ever do. Isn't that what verse verse 8 says? For while bodily training, physical exercise is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Physical exercise is of some value. It is, isn't it? When I got back from the West Highland Way, I decided I was going to go walking every single day, four or five miles a day. A month later, I went to the park with Vanessa and I played football and it was great. I could last more than two minutes without having to sit on the ground so you've got to play by yourself. That, that's a benefit, isn't it? There's lots of benefits. We know there's lots of benefits from physical exercise. But in the grand scheme of things, it's just a few. But godliness is of all benefit. There's so many different ways we can put that verse. So many things we can substitute in. Education is of some benefit. But godliness is of all benefit. Good parenting is of some benefit. But godliness is of all benefit. Being a good husband or wife is of some benefit, but godliness is of all benefit. Caring for the environment is of some benefit, but godliness is of all benefit. Campaigning for social justice is of some benefit, but godliness is of all benefit. Holding promise for the present life. Time is running away, so I can't really go into this, but how does that work? How can godliness be better than those things? Well, one, it, it feeds into all that other stuff. It makes us, gives us a better motivation. It, it gives us more wisdom in them. Parents, can I say to you, the best thing you can do for your children is to become more godly. That will affect their life so much more than another trip. Or a bigger present at Christmas. The best thing you can do for them is to be godly. Because you will approach your whole parenting with a different perspective. Different aims. More wisdom. A more balanced personality. It's better to grow in godliness than anything else. And then also it brings real joy as we know and experience being saved and being a child of God. It brings real hope as we see life not dominated by suffering, but dominated by the glory of God and his plan of salvation. It brings peace and strength and righteousness. But ultimately, it's better when we look at eternity. That's where we see the contrast in the physical exercises of some benefit. What are the gains of physical exercise? A man goes about exercising. When's he happy? He's happy when he's got a six-pack. Okay? But what happens to that six-pack when he dies? It becomes a no-pack. In just the same way, I really thought, how do I describe it? The pillow belly becomes a no belly when someone dies. Some benefit 
But only godliness has eternal benefit. Only godliness goes beyond the grave. Verse 10. To this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul says this is the foundation. God is a saving God. He has sent his son to die for sin, to rise from the dead, to be exalted, and all who believe in him. This is an offer to everyone. Anyone can be saved, but those who believe in him, those who take hold of him, those who love him, those who are growing in him, because there is no such thing as a Christian who's not growing. The Bible has no room for a Christian who is not growing. Those who grow in him are concerned about godliness. They will be saved. So what should we make our life about? Toil and striving to become more godly. To trust in Christ. To know him better and see that shaping our life. What would it look like today for you to make growing in godliness the main thing in your life? What would it look like for you to make growing in godliness the main thing in your life? Maybe it would look like putting your trust in Jesus. There is no godliness without faith in Jesus. Doesn't matter how much you're trying to fit in with other people in the church to be like them or to fit in with other people in your family to behave like them. You cannot be godly without faith in Jesus. So maybe that's what it means. Maybe it means turning off your TV or to bring it more into the modern day, putting down your phone and thinking about the sermon on a Sunday. Or what you've read in the Bible. Praying it over and asking God to help you change. Maybe you're opening your Bible. Maybe you're coming to services. But it's become a habit. Just do it. Or you come for the coffee afterwards. Or for the people you see. You're not really engaging. You need to recognize that that's the case and repent and ask God to help you get serious with him again. Can I tell you, this is the question that I'm asking myself, particularly as coming back into to ministry after sabbatical. Few of you have asked me the question, are you happy to be back And maybe you've noticed that I'm not quite certain about the answer. It is yes, but it's also I don't know. And the reason for the I don't know is not you. And it's not ministry. The reason for the I don't know is that I recognize back in July that I drifted so far from making growing in godliness that central focus 
of my life. And over sabbatical time, God has dealt with me in many ways in that. And it's got better. But I don't know what that looks like when the pressures of ministry are brought back into the picture. And so that's where the uncertainty comes from. It's not you and it's not ministry itself, but it's, I need help to keep growing in godliness at the center and not to become distracted and look into other things to fill my time. I want to grow in Christ and know him better. What does it look like for you to do that? Let's pray. Father, help us as we look at your word, we think about what it's got to say. Help us to know that being godly, taking hold of you by faith, knowing you more and more, growing in you, that really needs to be what our life is about. So that we might enjoy you, that we might live for you, that we might be blessed by you, and that we might be with you for eternity. Lord, if anyone is here who has drifted from that point, I pray that you would not let them leave and become distracted by what's going on in life, but that you would hound them by your spirit to bring them back to that place where their heart is given entirely to you. Lord, I don't pray that lightly. I needed it. And maybe there's others who need it too. Will you give us a focus on you and make you the center of our lives? Amen.